This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. And we're back in the studio with a good friend of mine, Mr. John Bass, Superintendent of state parks at boyson state park so welcome to the show man man glad to be here it's good to have you back we've been talking about this episode for a while too because the three of us i would classify as pronghorn antelope nuts or speed goat nuts and so we're going to talk about speed goats today wyoming i would argue is probably the best place in the entire country for pronghorn hunting and so, John Bass, yeah, welcome to the episode, and glad to have you on to talk about pronghorn and slash speed goats. Yeah, everybody calls them antelope, you know, pronghorn. I, I love hunting them. I mean, I was, uh, you'd asked me to do this. He's like, we should do a podcast. What could we do one about? And I said, man, I, let's talk about pronghorn hunting. I hadn't heard y'all do a podcast about that very much. And, and I was like, count me in, I'll do it, you know. And we were talking earlier that, you know, I moved out here from Tennessee in 2017, uh, but not my first time to Wyoming. When I first time to Wyoming, I actually worked in Yellowstone National Park back in 01 when I was in college. And then my next trip to Wyoming was in 2009 on my first out of Tennessee hunting trip. I grew up hunting tur- wild turkeys, eastern wild turkeys and whitetail deer. And me and my brother and three of my good buddies decided to all load up and drive across the country, put in for tags and and uh, come pronghorn hunting, hunted around a place called Mule Creek Junction. Y'all ever heard of it? right over the south dakota border and i'll talk about it now we actually went on a walk-in area there uh because we went me and my wife went back a couple of years ago and since on x that place has kind of got inundated but this was pre on x that should be a hunting term it's pre on yeah, x, pre for, on x. Yeah, it's yeah, a real yeah, deal yes. yeah it's a real deal for like especially walk-in areas and 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 stuff like that you had so, to do homework you had to do research you had we to print did. maps and you had to really figure out like how am i going to get onto this square yeah print map on a piece of paper and then i outlined the walk-in <laughs> yes. area with red and highlighted it and i was like okay we're putting all of our eggs in this basket right and uh and we had no idea what to expect okay so we, we ended up driving to edgemont south dakota y'all want to hear this whole story yeah, yes i want to hear it so we ended up driving to edgemont south dakota we stayed in edgemont drove into wyoming because it's just over the border and so we're a bunch of whitetail hunters from tennessee right so what do we have to do we're, we're hunting pronghorn we have to be there before daylight like a white yeah hunter. yeah of course like, yeah uh-huh. of course that's what we need yeah. so we had actually drove in the, <laughs> we drove in the afternoon before because we got there you know it's a 24-hour drive from tennessee and we got there and we had not seen any pronghorn i mean we crossed into wyoming we're still not seeing any <laughs> and we got to that walk-in area and boom there's a buck there's another buck there's some does there's another buck like hey they're, they're here they're actually on this walk-in area so we kind of set a game plan went back to edgemont about a 45 minute drive and in the little motel there it was called the rainbow motel at the time i think it's the cowboy <laughs> inn now there's only one place to stay and, and uh, went back to the motel and of course we got up next morning and when we got up i could hear the wind blowing before we went outside oh yeah and so it was 60 mile an hour gust with sustained at 40 miles an hour here we get in the truck we take off in the dark into wyoming to go on our first pronghorn hunt and we're all like what is what are we doing you know <laughs> so we we had done playing where he's going to drop each other off at you know these little you know fence areas so he's all kind of split up 
and me and my buddy was together we had you know a tag each and, and i said well let's hunt together you can have the first shot well we was parked sitting in the truck kind of waiting for it to get a little bit daylight and the truck is just rocking from this mm-hmm. wind i was like how are we going to hit these things like they're going to have to be close you know we'd all <laughs> practice shooting you know well anyway so we got out of the truck crossed the fence and it was about 100 yards till it dropped off into kind of a big basin and uh, we walked that 100 yards and as soon as we got to the crest boom there's a buck with a bunch of does at about 250 yards but the wind is howling and my buddy's shooting uh god i think he had a i, I know i had my seven millimeter magnum and he had a uh, 300 wind mag i think you know we, we brought these giant guns to shoot these <laughs> you know less than white tail deer yeah a little little too much but but i mean you, you you go hunting with what you're most confident in right don't yep. you know the best shooting gun the one you shoot the best that's the one you take you go on a uh, out-of-state hunt or a new hunt don't buy a new gun and a new scope and try to set it up and take it get old trusty you know that's what i always tell people anyway so he set up and uh, he said how much should i give for the wind i like man 250 yards in this wind i'd give it a foot you know it's going to move it a foot even at 300 and so he shot and uh, he thought he missed it but he, it took off running and i saw him fall he went down i said no you got him you got him and it was a pretty good i mean we didn't really know how to judge them i think it ended up scoring in the mid 70s or whatever so it was a great first one and and uh and so as soon as he shot i was like we, we was excited you know you know and then another one walked out another buck come out kind of behind this little hump you know how the desert prairie is and uh and i said there's another one and i had borrowed this uh range finder from my cousin the only reason i knew what the range was because in 09 laser range finders were still kind of new this was like this big right big thing and so i ranged it and it said 410 and he said, how much are you going to give for the wind? I said, I'm going to give him three feet. So I knew what my gun was shooting, so I brought it up over his back about six inches, brought it back to his butt, where his butt was, and squeezed off, and he hit the ground, just slapped the ground. I mean, it put, went right behind the shoulder, but that wind moved at three feet. I knew what it would do, but Jeez. so you got to know what you, you got to do some practice, and we always talk about practice and shooting and know what your gun's going to do and try to guess what the wind's going to do, but I mean, it's pretty consistent. You know, you, there's plenty of tables out there, but and so we were just over the moon. It, the sun, I mean, technical sunrise hadn't even happened yet. We're tagged out on our bucks. You know, we had doe tags, too. Well, during this time, my buddy John, he shot a buck and, and his doe right. I mean, they got up out of their bed right as the day was breaking. He he filled both tags in the first five minutes. My brother, I think he filled his the next morning or maybe that afternoon. But we filled all of our tags in less than two days. And so it was a, it was like, well, this is either really easy or we got really lucky. <laughs> you know, doesn't matter. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, and so we was kind of hooked on it and. And uh, we ended up coming back. God, I think we come back in 2011. Man, we ended up, you know, how I ended up in Wyoming was uh, we come back in 2016 um, with my father-in-law and my bud, one of my buddies and a couple other friends from Tennessee. And and uh, I was telling y'all earlier, you know, the reason I'm in Wyoming is because of pronghorn. And David kind of said the same thing, you know. When I started thinking about it on the, on the drive down, I was like, you know, pronghorn's a pretty important part of my life because, you know, if I wouldn't have been on that pronghorn hunting trip in 2016, I would not have been up at the Ten Sleep Brewery, mm-hmm. a little shout out to them, drinking their golden ale, which is actually called Speed Goat, named yep. after pronghorn. I was drinking golden ale and uh, and uh, I met a friend through work uh, that worked for Wyoming State Parks that was actually the superintendent at Medicine Lodge. 
and he drove over there and we was having a having a beer talking about how awesome wyoming was he's originally from michigan i said man it's beautiful i just need to move out here and he said well they're looking for a superintendent down at boyson state park man that's almost seven years ago rest is history now here you are (laughs) here i am and i couldn't be happier my wife and son man we just we go and adventure and hunt and i sent you a picture earlier of her and him and me and it's a family affair you know that that's what we all talk about next is how it's a uh, if you can draw a pronghorn tag in wyoming i mean it's a very doable very achievable hunt it's it's very high success rates as long as you can shoot you should be able to fill the tag and you should be able to find them i mean there's plenty mm-hmm. of places uh, a lot of walk-in areas a lot of public ground and i mean any alfalfa field if you're getting desperate just to go <laughs> knock on the farmer's door they're going to say yeah go ahead usually i mean they're not going to give you permission for mule deer don't even ask <laughs> <laughs> but you, you ask for a white-tailed doe or you say hey how about them antelope in there? You you hunt antelope? Sure, go go take two of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they always wish you had more tags sometimes. So so yeah, antelope's a very doable hunt. And I, I've had people ask me, you know, even after that first year we come out here, I, and, and especially since moving out here, I've got a lot of hunting friends back home, and they're like, man, I want to come out there and kill an elk. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit different. That's a <laughs> much more difficult hunt harder to do more time and i said harder you know, on your you, body yeah harder, yeah harder all the way around but i said you know you can you can really do a pronghorn hunt it's it's i think that first year in, in 2009 and this was getting a shoulder mount too i got it mounted at, at uh, up in newcastle and mm-hmm. they shipped it back but we did the tags gas fuel of course everything was split food hotel everything then and a shoulder mount i had 1100 dollars in that hunt that's I a mean, great deal that just you just can't do that, you know. Of course, it's higher now. I mean, that was, yeah. God, that's 15 years ago almost. It makes me feel old. But. It's kind of interesting to hear you two talk about antelope and, you know, pronghorn and what that means to you. For me, being a Wyoming native, that's typically the first big game animal you go hunting for. It's either that or a deer, typically, right? right. And so when I was 12 years old, the very first animal that I shot was a real nice pronghorn buck at 300 yards. You know, that, that was my first animal. And so it has a special place in my heart as well, because it's like, that is kind of the beginning of my big game hunting, you know, journey. And they are one of the coolest animals on the planet. I was actually talking to a guy not too long ago about pronghorn and he's trying to, you might've read the article, but he's trying to prove that pronghorn are actually faster than cheetahs. Because back when they did the test to test the speed of the cheetah, there were some things that, you know, are kind of questionable about it. And so he wants to actually have some kind of a, you know, modern day, you know, with all the new technology, a way to actually test and see who's faster because he thinks pronghorn are faster. And he's like, Patrick, how fast do you think those things go? And I'm like, man, I've been driving down dirt road, you know, and they're, they're passing me. They're bound and determined. They're they're going to run alongside you and cut you off and go in front of you. (laughs) Yeah. And you can't. Unless you've got a paved road, you ain't going to beat them in a pickup. Right. Yeah. And right. they're fast. No. Yeah. When you spook them, they get gone quick. Oh, yeah. I mean, they put that distance on real fast. So they're fast. Right. They have like no body fat on them. It's crazy. When Whenever you do harvest one, it's really interesting to look at them because they're just built for speed. They don't have a bunch of fat on them. Their hair is like hollow. They're just such a cool, unique animal, and they look like nothing else, right? right? Like, you can say elk and mule deer at least have some of a similar build and, you know, similar antlers and stuff, but pronghorn are just so different and so fast, so cool looking. They are, like, my favorite big game animal in the state. I'd be just fine, you know, starting my western hunting with a 
pronghorn and then ending my western hunting with it'd be the last thing i'd i'd like to hunt i mean i mean the hunt is you'll be able to find some and it's not like elk or or you know trophy mule deer if you mess up your one opportunity that you might get on an elk or a trophy mule deer that's it that's wait till next year buddy i mean that's a lot of times that's the case pronghorn you mess up a stalk something happens show back up tomorrow yeah just be back tomorrow he'll be back you know or drive a half mile down the road and find another one you know so so that that's that's why it's it's a good beginner hunt you know us three sitting here we're not beginner hunters and we still love to hunt them you know it's 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 a lot of fun and and the more you hunt them the more i guess picky you can get the better you get at judging them and it's not about for me it's not about the trophy at all i mean the only reason i might let one go is so i can keep hunting them it's not it's not about a trophy <laughs> on the wall fun. because the last good one i yeah. shot it's it's skull still in the freezer waiting to, for me to european mount it and that was two years ago you know it's, it's not about the trophy it's about the meat in the freezer because we're going to talk about that too, oh yeah about how delicious they are and everybody out there that says that they ain't i'm sorry that you've had a bad experience but it was how it was treated from the time it hit the ground but yep or even before the time it hit the ground <laughs> you, you need to make a clean quick harvest on them clean I'm, quick harvest yeah i've had one we moved here and we drew an archery antelope tag i say we my wife and i were invited to come out and visit my father-in-law in 2006 7 somewhere in there and we came out here from oregon before we moved to alaska and i i was like this place is cool even back then mm-hmm. and i'd say bow spider probably wouldn't exist without proghorn without that hunt right having been here coming out of state same thing you did wife and i hopped in a car showed up here her dad catered all the food everything he'd gone out and pre-built archery blinds over water we came for the archery opener and boy we brought one of those pop-up blinds and it had rained which made it a little more difficult the first couple days of the hunt because there was water standing in Mm -hmm. in the two track everywhere and they didn't have to come to the water trade-offs we sweated it out one day in one of those pop-up blinds and how i build them now hog panel canvas tarp some plywood and some burlap and some t-posts they breathe you put them on the lee side of the wind from the water and you'll get a little cool breeze off the pond it's a waiting game and a lot of people don't like it but take a book and what i like about doing it that way i've taken three-year-old kids set them in the blind give them binoculars they love it you got antelope five yards away and once they come in that close they're no longer spooky because they can see five, six, seven hundred yards away. So they've already confirmed that there's no danger there, so to speak. And they've they've committed to now they'll come stand a hundred yards away and they'll they'll stare for ten, fifteen minutes. They're looking for a coyote, they're looking for something. And so you're in this little box. It's it's awesome. It's really cool. It's funny that you said that because I've noticed that with pronghorn is like sometimes when they get real close, they they're almost surprised that there's something moving that they didn't already know was there because of that long-distance eyesight that they have. I mean, because I've been, you know, I get, you get 20, 30 yards from an antelope or pronghorn. I mean, they're just, they're kind of, they just kind of stand there and look at you with that look on their face of like, how did this big other animal get this close to me without me knowing it was here? And like trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah. And I hear people say, wow, they're dumb. They're not dumb. No. Um, they're they're just different. They're just The, a the ones along the highway act like they're not dumb. Get a mile off and step out of the pickup and see what they do. Yeah. Right. Or wait, you know, not opening day or two weeks into the season. I usually, uh, I was fortunate, me and my wife was fortunate enough to draw uh, two buck pronghorn tags this year. And uh, and I, I usually like to wait till later in the season. I don't like the opening day of everybody driving around in the same area. I just wait because a lot of times if you'll wait till later in the season, 
you know the the bucks that's been hanging out next to the road those get harvested usually um and then later in the season some older bucks or bucks from deeper deeper off the road will come and they'll start tending those does and uh that was you know i've killed a you know a couple of really nice ones just because of you know just waiting until later in the season the weather's cooler yes. you know and you know it's and that's archery elk season two right david so it's oh, like yeah. i'll wait till first of october first first couple of weeks of october before i try to fill that tag that's why i either archery hunt them during august when it's hot so we've talked about this you need to have coolers with ice and take care I of that you gotta have it yeah but last year my dad drew a tag right here around the house and we went two or three days before season closed and he killed an 85 inch goat yeah and well people are like all oh, numbers okay so the difference between a 60 a 70 a 80 and a 90 it's only 10 inches right but when you start adding an inch to a prong an inch to a length a couple inches to mass measurement it's really hard to tell at distance the difference between a 72 and an 82 right a 92 standing there is pretty easy a 62 is pretty easy but you get into that 70 80 inch goat there they are one of the harder species to field judge and go oh i think he's oh yeah yeah for sure and and that's another good thing about what he's talking about it's a good first if you're an out-of-state hunter non-resident hunter coming in because the difference between an average pronghorn and a trophy pronghorn is inches right it's not like on a mule deer where an average mule deer might be a 120 and a trophy one's a 170 or 180 that's a that looks that's a vastly different looking mount on your wall when you take it back to whatever state you're from you know but a you know 65 inch antelope it's going to look just fine on the wall when you get it back, you know, yep. and, and they're very common and not, you know, not hard to achieve that. Well, especially if you're taking it back East where there aren't pronghorn, you have it on your wall. People are going to be like, man, that's really cool. Yeah. They're you like, know? did you go to Africa to get yeah. that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Some people think that, right. Cause they're like, I haven't seen one of those before. Well, that's why everybody calls them antelope because first Europeans, mm-hmm. when they saw them, they had been to Africa and they called them antelope, but they're not, they're, they're not, not actually, related. They're not related at all. At because all. an antelope, you know, yeah. the, uh, no, nothing is related to a pronghorn there to end of their evolutionary chain they had other relatives but they've all become extinct they're their uh, own thing they're their own thing that's why some of the you know the diseases out there doesn't affect them you know that affect the other ungulates uh and you know they're the only horned animal that sheds it sheds but it's not the horn is is more carotene and more fibrous it's almost right. it's, really it's almost cool. more like beard hair that grows together yeah, but then of. they shed it off yeah mm-hmm. it, they are way cool i bet it would feel good to shed our beards off david is shed it all at once and start growing it again <laughs> <laughs> for those of you watching on uh, youtube we we might have a little facial hair it's wyoming it's it's uh i think mandatory it should be. I, no. yeah, I, <laughs> I had a beard before it was cool, though, you know. So yeah. <laughs> Me too, man. It's like, man, everybody's growing a beard now. But, yeah. you know, but no, to that point, like, it is interesting that they shed that every year because, yeah. you know, most horned animals, that's not what they're doing. And so, you know, well, I don't think any of them do except no. for pronghorn, pronghorn's right? On, so, pronghorn's the only one I know of. So it's crazy. It like, their horns. I've been out in the spring. So antler shit for everybody out there. Antlers, antlered animals like deer and elk. Those are antlers and moose. Yep. They shed every year and regrow them. But horned animals, horns just stay like doll sheep. There you go, David. Like, so sheep, they just continually grow. But, you know, they don't ever shed them. They don't ever shed those sheaths like a pronghorn right. does. And, and pro- they'll shed them in 
was it November, late October, early November? They'll start. They'll, you'll start seeing them without them. Yeah. And they've got like a bony core on the inside. If anybody's ever done a European mount on one, you know what I'm talking about. But they're like spikes, like spikes. Yeah. Yep. And I, you know, I've thought about that before. You know, when they shed those things off in November and the wind's blowing and it's cold out here on the prairie, you know, that's got to be sensitive, like a like a cavity in a tooth or something. You know, there for a little you while before think. it starts growing. You know, maybe it starts growing from the inside and that it actually pushes that off. I don't know. That would be a question. I think for that's the case. But I'm not sure. But I, that's what I've heard is that they start to regrow that that next year's mm. horn, and it kind of pushes that other one off. But I've found those in the field, you I know, oh, yeah. and it's weird. It's like, oh, that came off of a pronghorn, you know. Yeah, but, I find them every year. And yeah. uh, great dog, my the golden retriever loves them. And David was talking about other earlier. He was showing me some of his uh, pronghorn he has harvested, and he said, "I've got a bunch of the left sides, but." The dog ate all the right sides. <laughs> we, when we moved everything out to pour the cement, they got put, I think, in a file cabinet in the drawer. But then somehow the dog got into the pile, and she yeah. got all the rights. I have three lefts, and I'm missing three rights. And one's one of my nice goats. And Yeah. It happens. It happens. It, I mean, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's, you know, the trophies are the trophies are in your mind. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's the experiences that we have doing it and who we get to do it with is what's the best part about it. Well, it's like the, how you let off. It's the story. You it's know, it's like the wind's rocking the truck oh, and your man. bullet's moving three feet. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the exciting part about a pronghorn hunt is so, and I've done some where the stock is also super cool, right? right? Because you may be, because of their binocular vision and your rifle hunting them, they may be set up in a strategic spot where you can't make a very good stock and it takes you a long time and that's exciting and that's fun. And I, I did one with my buddy CJ, he'll probably listen to this, but him and his dad and I, we were making a stock on this really nice old, old, old pronghorn. And this is what down would you in call Southern. an old, old pronghorn? How many years do you think he is? Oh my gosh, this would be another good biologist question. That is a good question, but you could tell because he was his base of his horns were just massive. I mean, just gigantic. Now they weren't real glorious otherwise, but I mean they were huge on the base. Like you could see just these massive horns coming out of his head you know they weren't real tall they weren't real tall but they were real heavy and cj was like that's the one i want and we had to they had water they had food they had everything they needed and they could see for miles we had to drive like four or five miles around hike down this little crag and then we went through this draw and we were taking our time we were going really slow and we actually got within about 10 yards of a coyote which was kind of cool because we're sitting there by the coyote and the coyote has no idea that we're there and he's watching the pronghorn as well. And then he finally looks over and he sees us and he's like, oh, you know, he kind of freaked out. And luckily he went back up the draw. So he didn't spook anything, but we ended up getting down and CJ was able to get within about 75 yards and harvest that buck. But I mean, the stock was just so much fun, right? Like the process of having to make sure that you're staying low, you're staying out of that binocular vision that they've got so that you can get up on them was super cool. So and, fun. And you remember, you know, being a predator, just like that coyote was, you remember that part of the stock walking right up and that coyote was sitting there, right? Mm-hmm. Or coyote, sorry, man. I, I guess that's the Easterner coming out of here. Coyote, <laughs> uh, coyote that's standing there, but coyote. coyote. Um, but I mean, that's that's the fun part about stalking stuff. And I, I tell my son all the time, you know, he, he got in a bad habit of wanting to jump out and scare me and his mom, you know, in, in the house. You know, he'd jump out. Rah! I was like, what, Tucker, you can scare anybody if you startle them. I said, work on being a predator. 
I said, you want to be good, sneak up on me and just touch me without me know you, knowing you're there. So that's what we've been working on the last couple of years. Is like, and he'll, he'll, I mean, he, he will come up to me and he'll reach out and he'll touch me. And, and I won't have any ideas anywhere around. And I'll look at him. He's like, well, was I being a good predator, Dad? And I'm like, yes, you was. Yes, you was. <laughs> but like that, that guy out there, you know, he was, you were doing the same thing he was. Mm-hmm. That's why we do it. That, I think that's why it's it's down something that we can't describe you know the people that love the outdoors and love to hunt it's 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 just in us it's in us as a species i think that that we are predators i'll argue with anybody we're predators when you're when you're out in the field and and you're you see another predator doing the same thing you're doing and that coat was very happy that y'all harvested that buck because i'm sure he cleaned that that gut pile up pretty quick you know, so he you you really helped him out a lot. You made his job a whole lot easier. Of course, he he wasn't gonna get that buck anyway. I imagine, but but yeah. Well, it was interesting. We got that buck, <clears throat> went up to him, and started to do the processing, and half of one of his front hooves was gone, and he was still moving pretty dang well, considering he was missing half of a front hoof. Th- those animals are just incredible. Like I, I'm just always blown away. Like I've I've seen different weird you know, things with pronghorn over the years where you're like, how in the world are they still running at like 30, 40 miles an hour? Oh, they yeah. can do it. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's, and, uh, you know, we, you know, talking about them and, and other hunters, sometimes they, like I said earlier, they don't get the respect. I don't think that they deserve, you know, and we were talking, you were talking about earlier before we started this about Randy Newberg, yep. you know, he loves them. Yeah. He loves them. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I I don't I don't I don't like it when any anybody kind of disrespects and now oh it's just a pronghorn. No, I mean they're, I mean, you know, we're out here hunting out here, you know, harvesting and and uh, is it time to start talking about how delicious? Yeah, these let's do animals. It. Let's are? talk about eating them because that's my favorite part. Man, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, after after the shot, let's 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 uh, let's say have some steaks and I'm going to ask you. So when you shoot one and it hits the ground, what's the first thing you do? First thing I do is I. Well, d- depends on where I'm at, but I always, when I go pronghorn hunting, I have a cooler full of ice in my side-by-side or in my truck because the only reason I'm not going to fill that tag is because I miss. The tag is going to get filled, so go to the field expecting to fill that tag. Be prepared with a cooler full of ice, and the first thing I do, uh, I'll usually skin them. I, when I first hunted them out here, I had I field-dressed everything, right? I field-dressed my first cow elk instead of just deboning it and leaving everything there because I'm a whitetail hunter from Tennessee and that's the first thing we did. It was just by habit. But now usually I'll just, I'll start skinning them immediately on the ground and I'll debone them right there. I'll quick quarter them. Yeah, I'll skin them and then I'll quick quarter uh, most of the time because I can throw all that in the cooler on ice. I got a, you know, bigger size cooler. My goal is from the time that they hit the ground, they're on ice and they're skint and on ice in the cooler within an hour. I'd say that's perfect goal, and I that's mean, great advice. And if you want good pronghorn, if you yeah yeah, I mean, if you want any kind of good meat, I yeah. mean, you just can't you can't ride around in your truck. It's September when when a lot of these seasons start. You know, it's it's late, it's mid September, early October, and and back in Tennessee, you know when. We didn't have real cold winters anyway. I mean, it get, have cold snaps, but we didn't ever hang animals in our garage, right? But I've seen, you know, people in Wyoming hang them in September and October, you know, because that's what they do with their elk in November and December. And it, you just, I just don't think it does the meat any justice. So when I come out here, you know, the, my Wyoming buddies, you know, I'll, I'll I actually kind of brine them. I'll put them in ice and salt water in a cooler and let them set for three or four days i do it with i do it with all my meat elk deer antelope everything instead of hanging them it's just, it's really just a brine is what mm-hmm. i'm doing and uh 
and they kind of made fun of me at first until they I invited them over to my house to <laughs> eat some of this you know wild game that I've harvested and they're like this is the best mule deer or this is the best elk or this is the absolute best pronghorn i've ever had and so it's all about preparation and how you take care of it i think you know just just being prepared you know have that confidence have the confidence that you're gonna feel that tag and have that colorful ice with you you taught me something i had not thought about the salt in the mm. water that's a great idea yeah yeah, yeah a, a tr- i think a true brine is sugar and salt right david and it's sugar and salt. i usually just put salt in there i'll just pour a bunch in and you know, after a couple of days, the water's pretty red because that that salt's helping to you know draw some of that blood out of the meat, which is which is good. I mean, that's with anything, and uh, so I'll drain the water out, add more salt and ice, and sometimes I'll actually put water in on top of it in that ice, so it's in a uh, you know a salty ice bath. So, I think uh, one thing that comes to mind is there's a couple of units in Alaska where you cannot debone the moose. You can quarter it, you can cut a quarter in half, but you can't cut the meat off the bone. And the thought process there is when you actually cut into the meat, into the muscle tissue, you're interjecting bacteria. There's bacteria in the air, in your saliva, on your knife. It's just there, right? And so by just taking and quick quartering and having that whole chunk of meat with the bone inside it, right, you're actually doing a better job of preserving because on the outside, by putting it in that salt, you're killing all that bacteria. And so there's A, that's important. B, you know, deer and elk, I'm not going to pack a cooler full of ice around because i may not get one today right right on an antelope hunt <laughs> you're packing we, ice we're packing ice because if we go out there with a buck tag and two doe tags in our pocket you're gonna get one guys the the hardest the, what i've seen with non-residents is they get too excited and they shoot the first buck they see they come around the corner like you guys oh daylight there's a buck and when you were driving out here on your 20-hour drive you guys must have been tired because you hadn't seen antelope yet because <laughs> they're everywhere right <laughs> right if you've been driving to daylight now same thing you, you guys getting up there at 4.30, getting out there and sitting there in the dark waiting? I probably would have left the house about about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And I've had a couple family members draw non-resident doe tags. And they, they're they like, hey, we want to come hunting. We want to put them for them. I'm like, get a doe antelope tag right here around my house. We'll go for an afternoon and we'll cut it up and we'll send it home with you. And we've made jerky sticks and snack sticks. And right, we'll go get their antelope, process it, come home here, stick it in the fridge for a day, and then... We'll, we'll butcher it up, grind it up, and I'll send them home with actual finished edible product. So for sure, all those things you've said are, are spot on. So one thing that I would have you do next time is leave some of that bone in, like either a hind quarter or something well, now, like antelope that. I usually do, do yeah. leave the bone in. And then They'll, slow cook that thing. Oh, man, that is amazing. Actually, I've got one in my freezer, vacuum packed and seasoned already. All right, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was a doe tag <laughs> that, uh, you know, at a distance, when an antelope's by itself, it's kind of hard to tell how big the animal is. Mm-hmm. And so it was, a, it was a real small doe. But, yeah, but I'll tell you what, those bone-in, you know, like if you're going to just smoke that or slow roast it in a slow cooker or whatever, some of the best pulled meat you'll ever eat, right? I mean, it's just amazing when it comes off the bone. I don't know what it is about cooking stuff with the bone-in, but man, it just makes it, it's great for like carnitas, you know, so you don't yeah, want to like yeah. shred it up yeah, and make it, it in like, there. It's all that oh. flavor to it, you know, like a porterhouse, man. I'm a porterhouse steak. Give me a steak, I'll take a porterhouse. I like porterhouse. Okay. Man, you, can bring, you can bring some of my house next time. <laughs> yeah, I'll cook them. You bring them, I'll cook them. <laughs> I will say good. young cow elk backstrap is not as good as antelope backstrap. You oh, put both of them on 100%. the smoker, 
you know, make a little log out of them, however you want to prep them and season them. You cook them the same time, the same place, cut them up the same and serve them. It's nine to ten, you know, nine out of one. It's you put, I hand you two plates and the antelope backstrap's always gone. Elk backstrap goes, but people are like, hey, you got any more of that antelope? You're right. It, it is better. Well, since you breached the subject, everybody's going to be mad at you. Yes, it is my favorite <laughs> game meat that I've ever had. Oh, I mean, I've, yeah. had, I've had I've had all of it, and you have too. And I think but the I'd people listening a, to this screaming, yeah. saying, "Oh, you're," I think they've either there, there's there is something to the fact that if you run them really hard, mm. and then you wound them and get a bunch of lactic acid adrenaline and then finally finish them off there's something to be said there if you're not prepping them and putting them on ice if you're throwing them in the back of the truck gutted and driving to the butcher and throwing it on the butcher's floor and then they leave it there for two four six hours until they get to it it's not going to be good it's a 90 pound animal and the hide you got to get that hide off because i mean it traps that heat and it just goes quick Mm -hmm. yeah they're insulated Yes. Well, that hollow hair I was talking mm -hmm. about, they insulate great. That's why they don't have to have tons of fat on them is they have that special hair and yeah, it cooks the meat if you don't get it Well, in the winter, you'll see them laying out in a prairie, wind blowing and and snow and like the only thing but a head sticking up out of the snow drift where they're just under a big pile of snow out there. I mean, they're a hardy and and that's, we didn't talk about that yet, but I mean, we all live in Wyoming. We drive down these roads, you know, elk and deer. I mean, they're up in the you know, the trees, they get down in timber, not an antelope, man. They'll be laying out there in the ball open sagebrush flat. But you can find open. them from the, I've found them at 9,000, right. 10,000 feet up yeah. in the timber, all the way down Bottom to meadow. You know, 4,000 yeah. down here in the sage. But they can put up with those winters. They can put up with them 60 mile an hour winds and snowing and blizzard and negative temperatures. And they're just sitting there taking it. And I'm like, man, I tough. Grew, I grew up in Cheyenne and I would watch that, man. You'd see them, they'd. They'd lay on the hillside, storm would roll in, it would snow, and you'd see these little lumps on the hillside that would get up, and it was pronghorns covered with snow, and they'd trot off and do their thing, but they can survive some of the most hostile conditions Yeah, on deep, the They don't like deep snow, and that's what hurt them this year yep. in Wyoming. Deep, deep snow gets them. They're, they're made for these high desert, you know, sagebrush flats, you know, steps and stuff. And Windblown flats, what, yeah. Yeah, they got it. They got, that's, yeah, they got to have places where the, the wind blows the snow off so they can get to get to their food source you know that Let's deep talk snow about really that hurts too. Them. like what they're eating because i mean it's it's really interesting to me i gotta tell this funny story so the guy that i'm actually named after he's got a big ranch up by newcastle wyoming and uh he's been around antelope his whole life you know he's up in his 80s now he's still ranching by the way he's tough and he was arguing with a game and fish biologist about this no offense game and fish but the biologist was like oh man yeah those uh those, those pronghorn don't eat anything but sagebrush and grass. They don't eat alfalfa. They don't eat this. They don't eat that. And he's he's looking at this guy like, are you out of your mind? You know, because he knows. And uh, so he was taking pictures of the uh, pronghorn out eating the alfalfa and sending it to this guy, you know, just to prove a point. But, I mean, they eat, you know, sagebrush in the winter for sure. Like, especially this winter, right. if you looked at, we had two feet of snow on the ground, 18 inches to two feet of snow, just about everywhere. The tops of the sagebrush was chewed off. And that was the deer, the antelope, you know, anything they could get to it was eating that off because that's all they could get to because it crusted over. It was hard. It was really hard for them to move around and it was tough on them. But I've seen them eat just about anything. I mean, they're very opportunistic and they can handle it. Oh, yeah, they love alfalfa, you know. And, oh, yeah. And we talking about how delicious they are now. 
I do think you get your doe tag and you find your rancher or farmer that's got an alfalfa field because they want them gone out of it, you know. And you you shoot a, a doe or a buck antelope out of an alfalfa field that's been kind of using that as 30 to 40% of their diet. Yeah, it, uh, it, it takes it to another level. That it's was good. my last one. It was a little bit north of here under a pivot. Shot a nice buck out from under the pivot. And it, was, it had been out there, according to the rancher, all summer, you know, eating alfalfa and boy. That was the best pronghorn I've ever eaten in my life. I, I've, I've seen them. They eat so much alfalfa, they'll get the scours because I don't think it's real good for their digestive system. I mean, they love to eat it. I mean, it's like candy mm-hmm. to them, I think, but but I don't think it's real great for their digestive system. Well, it's like putting a, a just a, a cow out there on green alfalfa. It's right. not great for their gut. Right. It can blow them out and make them sick, but... Yeah, pronghorn, I think, are by far the best. You know, it's my favorite as far as big game. David, how about you? uh, It's going to sound a little pretentious, but I will tell you that doll sheep is above antelope, then antelope, then moose. And the only reason doll sheep beats antelope, and I guess it's pretentious, I know you can't get it very often, (laughs) but they have marbled (laughs) fat in the meat. And so when you cook it out, it is just, it's a little more cattle-esque. Oh, so you already have some thought out for after this podcast. Yes, so that would <laughs> no, we'll dig around. There might <laughs> no, be. I, I think it's it's oh, long gone. Oh, no. That would no, be I'm sure it worth is. its weight in gold, I'm sure. If it's that good, you know it's gone. I mean, that's just the way it works. But, but no, uh, uh, the, the one that I can get annually by far, and moose is better than elk and deer. And the, the lowest on the list is mule deer. I'm sorry, but yeah. it's just, I'll, I'll take a whitetail, a corn-fed whitetail doe's pretty pretty good but not as good as moose and antelope is better than moose for sure yeah yeah if you had to rank them for sure i agree i never now i've never had doll sheep but but yeah my wife so when we put in when i put in for tags every year and when we moved out here i was like oh yeah she's elk you know we're elk hunting we're deer hunting so at this point now we've been out here you know this is uh gonna be seven years in january i think and she's like don't put me in for anything but pronghorn tags so she loves to hunt them and she loves to eat them and she's like we are not not feeling a pronghorn tag you know we do not <laughs> eat pronghorn tag sandwiches you know because she loves to eat them she's like i don't care if you get anything else but let's try to get pronghorn tags and we were lucky enough this year to, to draw a couple tags so with the, with the, all the cutbacks in them and stuff like that so i will say mm-hmm. growing up in oregon when you were lucky enough to get a tag and get it filled I was cutting steaks off front shoulders. I was cutting steaks off of hawks. I was cutting steaks off anything that was, you know, big enough to make a steak out of anymore. I, Patrick's gave me a good tip of, I think I'm going to save some front shoulders for a, a whole little brine smoker roast. But pretty much, if you're having steak at my house, it's backstrap. <laughs> Hams get turned into couple different products and then the rest is burger we we got three kids we eat a lot of hamburger that's what we do you know uh, i've got my i've got a you know a three-quarter horsepower limb grinder you know excellent bought it when i come out here and we moved out here i said i'm gonna get me a good heavy duty grinder so we me and my wife and son we do it all in the kitchen and i mean that's a whole other aspect to these hunts to this it's it's the whole thing that that you do it's just it's living you know and then and it's different than some people and it's the same as some people and it's well, just what we enjoy doing. I think it's cool. And you'd agree with this. It's, it's fun when you have your family together and you're processing that as a family, because like my kids, we cut and wrap, you know, so I'm not usually vacuum sealing much. And so, you know, you got that butcher paper there, you know, that you've wrapped up all nice and you got it taped shut. And then my kids draw 
like special things on there. So like this year with elk, you know, they were drawing all kinds of stuff on there. And that's, that's even more fun. Cause you go to pull it out and you're like, Oh, I remember when Katie drew this on there, Leah drew that, you know, and you pull it out and you thaw it out and people are like, your kids did that. I was like, Oh yeah. And then you show them pictures of you processing it. And I just think it's part of the culture here and it, it's really cool. It's just part of the experience. It's just part of the life of, of, of doing it, you know, but yeah, processing it ourselves. We, we've always, I, you know, we lived off of whitetails in Tennessee for the most part, like Dave was talking about eating burger, you know, so, so on a, on a elk or a deer, you know, of course all the back straps had steaks and then I'll cut steaks out of the hams, but then almost all the front shoulders and a lot of the back hams, I'll just put into the, to the grind pile. Uh, and we'll grind all that up for burger and we don't mix any fat with our burger we just we grind it straight a lot of people put fat in it and if you do that's fine but we, i never have um, now you can't patty a hamburger out of it and make a hamburger patty but if i want a burger i'll go buy me a you know a pound of you know cow meat to make me a big old greasy <laughs> you know so hamburger. I, got a, I got a solution for you there. all right well because we and the the reason we don't put any fat in our burger anymore is it actually continues to degrade in the freezer right you can tell six months later if you've mixed fat in with your burger it doesn't taste as good as if it's just clean straight burger so the easiest solution to fix this problem is get you a pound of burger oh half a package of ritz crackers and an egg or two mix that egg and that cracker in there that'll act as a binder to hold the meat together it's not quite cow patties but it's enough to hold it together where you can fry and have a a burger and it's it's not that hard to crack two sounds, eggs and yeah sounds like that's crackers. gonna be good with the doll sheet we're gonna have after this yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> i'm all for it man but yeah Jeez. i mean so yeah the, the grind and so but like on but antelope my grind pile on an antelope i try to make as small as possible i cut as many steak kebab antelope fajitas so uh oh, the rib yeah. meat in between the ribs Tucker loves cutting that rib meat. Of course, it's not much. I mean, you clean out both sides of the ribs, and you have enough for one meal of antelope rib meat fajitas. Uh, but they're fantastic. I mean, they're already in the strips, and and we fry them up and put some seasoning on them, and they're just fantastic. You know. But but to your point, you know, there's years we get multiple tags here. I won't I won't brag at how many, but. We're going to just set up a production line. We set up a couple card tables. We got the grinder. We got the vacuum packer. And we get all the kids, and I hand them knives, right? I hand the three-year-old a sharp knife and say, don't cut yourself and have fun and and go to town, right? We actually got Tucker one of those cut-proof gloves. Just like slides Mm -hmm. on on the you know the nine knife hand i liked it so much i ended up buying me a pair of them to put in my kill kit for elk hunting because you know when you're trying to hurry up especially if you're in bear country or something like that you kind of get in a rush sometimes or if it's cold mm-hmm. and you can't feel what you're doing when your hands are cold sometimes i've got the tip of a, a couple different fingers a couple oh, different course. times with yeah. the with the uh oh i've got the outdoor edge change of blade and that thing is wicked yeah, you got to watch those outdoor edge ones i've got uh oh what's some other change of blade ones with the scaffold blades in them whatever uh, Havilon. yeah i got a Havilon a couple of years ago and i, I like I keep it. breaking those blades uh, yeah any and, side pressure and ding well and the the other problem with it is, is sometimes swapping them out you know to swap out on them you almost have to have a pair of a multi-tool to swap the once you get to you know meat and stuff on it so i don't know good old buck knife fixed blade buck knife on your side is just about as good as anything i think you know but it's always good to have a sharp knife no matter what you're doing right. especially when you're processing but i think all of us have stabbed ourselves once or twice mm-hmm. with a 
skinning my, knife. My favorite processing knife, y'all are going to laugh, is the old uh, wood-handled fillet knife, fish fillet knife. Rapala. Oh, no, yeah. I know them several out, but people have done that. What, what's the, what, I don't forget what the name of that company was before Rapala brought, brought them out. But anyway, I've got a wood-handled fillet knife, and it is my go-to knife. I mean, I, I usually have it in my pack when I'm elk hunting because it's so good about, you know, deboning and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's my – I use it all the time. And I've got an Alaska Ulu Alaska mm-hmm. Knife Company Ulu sharpener that I, that is on that leather sheath that they come in. And I, you can run that thing through it twice, and she's back as sharp as a scalpel and back at it again. So I'm a, I'm a fillet knife guy for – I like it for big, big game, game too, mm-hmm. yeah. I like to use it on the hams, you know, if mm-hmm. you're taking the bone out. Yep. The fillet knife works really well. You can get in right along that bone, cut right through those, you know, sinewy tissues – yeah, I think they work as good as anything. Yeah. Like Once them. we get done deboning using some sort of deboning knife, I really like the Victor Knox fillet knife, the one I take to Alaska fillet and fish with. I sharpen that thing up and I can go through especially the grind pile and all I can just strip that sinew right out real yep. fast on a cutting board just like you would fillet a yep. fish. We don't even waste that. That's dog loves that pile. Well, yeah, my oh, golden yeah. retriever loves it, but I've noticed it backs her up a little oh, bit. Yeah. So, so I have well, to be careful. So there's two things that I've learned not to feed my golden <laughs> retriever to, and Ruby, she's at the house with anyway. Is uh, too much sinew or beaver meat. Oddly enough, it doesn't set well with her. So <laughs> I'm you know, when I'm cutting up, if y'all ever ate beaver, we're, we're, we're way off the pronghorn <laughs> at this point. But beaver meat's really good too. But I mean, it, don't, don't feed it to your dog or, or mine anyway. It don't set well with her. Well, when you're processing for the dogs, there's a couple things you got to remember. One, it can back them up, right? All your scraps. I, I throw them in the oven, cook them, and then I feed them to the dogs. You, you know, cook them trees. for your dogs? Man. I do that man. because, well, I'll explain here more in a minute, but... It helps them not get backed up as much, but the bad the bad part of about it is you feed a dog so much of that you can get what we call green gas floating around in your house because they get really gassy. You talking about Molly? Oh yeah, Molly, <laughs> Molly the Bernese Mountain Dog. Yes, she can have some of the worst gas you've ever smelled in your life if you feed we her are too way much off of the bronze subject at this point. <laughs> but, but if you are going to do it for your dogs, if you do cook it, it does help with the backup issue a little bit. But it does not help with the gas. Well, she issue. just sits there next. I have a five gallon bucket sitting next to my it's kitchen island, mm-hmm. and then Ruby's right next to the five gallon bucket. And so the pure sinew goes in the bucket, and if it's a good meat scrap, you know I'll. That's, you know, I'll have to throw her some every now and then, you know, just to keep her interested. <laughs> She's a good dog. I always just throw the rib cage out in the dog kennel anymore, too. You know, once we're done with getting straps and loins and stuff off of it. And towards the end of season, I notice the dog just doesn't care anymore about me. Like, yeah, whatever. But we don't buy dog food for at least a month during <laughs> The hawks, hundred percent. Oh yeah, leg I'll bones. Give, give Ruby the bone. leg bones. It's, I think it's the first year we was out here, and I, we harvested our first cow elk. Me and Lisa both, and I give Ruby one of the cow elk legs with the foot still. Mm-hmm. I still had the foot on it. And uh, I left the house, and I went to come back in, and we have a dog door coming into the house. And I looked down, and that cow elk leg was half in the dog door and half out the hoof was just hung where she had tried to take it back in the house because mm-hmm. they didn't want to chew on it in the house but she got hung in the dog door with that cow elk leg and i kind of looked at it and i thought and we had we'd been out here about a year and i said that looks like i live in wyoming now <laughs> cow elk leg hanging well, out the dog door have you ever been to murdoch's or one of those ranch stores and you find like the cow femurs that they smoke mm-hmm. up and you can buy them and they're vacuum sealed i did that with that cow elk last year for molly 
and for Johnny, my other dog, and they love those, man. I mean, that's another thing you can do with the femur bones is throw them in the smoker when you're smoking something else. It smokes up real nice, and then you can cut them in half, and they can get to the marrow. The only thing well. I despise is in the fall, I give her multiple quarters in her kennel and she's got a big kennel but they migrate out into the yard mm. and then when i'm running the lawnmower around i find <laughs> them and she really loves them once the lawnmower hits them because then it breaks shatters them into pieces yep. and she get into that marrow so yeah how did you the insurance company how did you break your windshield a uh, piece of a piece of a doll sheep leg went through my windshield <laughs> <laughs> That would be pretty weird, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Get that call if you were yeah, the that insurance might make commission. one of them insurance commercials where they talk about the crazy stuff that happens. You know? Yeah, exactly. You, know, you call the insurance company, man, I've, I've run into an animal. Oh, would you hit a fish? <laughs> yeah. you, you might be a redneck if. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, for sure. But yeah, I, I think the, uh, to get back to the pronghorns, I think probably one of the coolest things about them here, living here in Wyoming, right? If, especially for the people that live here is that, you know, other than after this last winter, they are fairly plentiful, you know, and there's, and they're great to get your kids out on their first hunt. My daughter and I, we put in for them. She's going to hunt for her first time. We didn't get a tag, but we did get a late season cow elk tag. So hopefully we can make that as enjoyable as possible. Um, <laughs> not kill her we, on that. Hunt, we we got a good spot. Yeah. So you don't want to make it too easy but you don't want to make it so hard that you yeah. lose interest too it's that's a fine line to walk right when you, mm-hmm. you start talking about starting kids off on because you know tucker turned 10 this year and you know he's got a couple of years and and uh he was talking about oh, we did a hike this past week you know you saw it on facebook and so cool yeah it was a good it was, that, that would be a whole nother podcast talking about that kind of stuff but uh we was coming out and he said and he said dad when i get a cell phone the first app i'm going to download is on x and i was like oh there's on x hit right there <laughs> but, anyway, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean it's been a, that's that's a game changer for for hunting and really any outdoor mm-hmm. activity i use it all the time hiking too. fishing hunting i mean what a game changer that's been but uh but yeah he's like first app i'm gonna get he's like can i have your old cell phone and take pictures with and i was like yeah he's like can i download on x i'm like no it's not hooked up to anything you can't download but, but um I, I mean, think you could you could do save some online maps off of that thing. Yeah, hook it to Wi-Fi real quick, and he could at least have a have the map there. Yeah. I used Onyx yesterday, looking for firewood, trying to make sure I got the right road into the unit. Right, oh, right. It's right. it's now I I pre Onyx you had to do a little bit of legwork, right? And you could find some spots that even bank fishing, right? You could find spots that people didn't know were there, and you could get away from the crowds. And now it's kind of it's it's highlighted neon flashing go here and right. it, it kind of ruins some spots in yeah, some ways that, well that's what that mule creek junction spot you know like i said we went back a couple of you know we drew the tag couple i guess it was last year we drew that tag and we went back and because i had some friends from tennessee that put in for it so we put in for it and when you put in for tags you can't party hunt if you have with non-residents and residents i don't know if anybody knows that but you can't have non-residents and residents in the same party so you have to actually put in separate and they didn't draw and i had it as my third choice and i drew it because it's a fairly easy tag to draw over that area and uh so me and my wife and tucker went over there and and i filled mine she she unfortunately missed her missed her shot but it was tough hunting it was real tough hunting over there and it was like every pull-off there was like three trucks at every pull-off and i i was like yep this is on x has kind of kind of got to and but that's okay i mean that's that's fine that's just a that's a part of the state that it's a little it's a lot less public land over there but you can make an antelope hunt as difficult or as easy as you want right you can't do that with an elk hunt you've got to put the work (laughs) in and you know it's if you're wanting to just road hunt an elk 
Yeah, that, you're most likely not going to fill the tag. Well, and even if you do fill an elk tag on a road hunt, it's you're, you, you might fill the tag, but you're going to be unfulfilled, in my opinion. Part of the draw of the elk hunt is, I mean, one, I mean, you get a lot of meat off of them for sure, but it's the it's the challenge, it's the push, it's the pushing yourself, it's the you know that type of stuff. You know, at pronghorn hunt, it's not. I mean, like you just said, you can make it challenging if you want to, and and, so, and making it archery hunting. Yeah. Oh, it's Huge. what I yeah. love about the archery hunting antelope specifically, and not spot and stock, just building blinds. Is I'll go out if I had have had a tag, I'd been out June and July looking for antelope right finding my target buck and then getting on onyx finding the closest two or three water holes building blinds on those or building decoys to scare them off of the other ones and now, what's wait really a minute. fun no. i'm gonna interrupt you on that building decoys to scare them off of the other ones would they so, not get used to anything you put scarecrow take a pair of coveralls so if i have a water hole that's I'm going to hunt that they, I build the blind on and they've shied away and they go to another water hole that's less desirable, but they're still there. The day I'm going to hunt, I'll put up a... The a, day that you hunt. You just day, leave it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I take a PVC pipe, duct tape it together in the shape of a cross and put a pair of coveralls and a milk jug on top of it. In the dark, I'll go put that up and then we'll go get another blind. And a lot of times we're talking two water holes that are 400 yards apart, right? Right. And so they're going to, they're, they're going to have gotten habituated to, they were going to the primary. I built the blind. They started using a secondary for two or three weeks. My blind's been sitting there. They're going the other one. I'll run over there. Or you can park a pickup on that other one. Kind of forces them to go to the. Well, anybody that's still listening to this podcast at this point, you should take a pen and paper and write that. That's a, that's a, that's a good little gem you just come up <laughs> so, with there. I like that. That's a good one. That's it a works good one. really well. And what's really, you'll, you'll see an increase of antelope on your blind that day. Now, obviously you're going to move your pickup or take your scarecrow down, but it, it's cool to get to go pick your target buck, mm. find the water hole, crawl in there, and usually in the in the headlight. But I take kids with cameras, and we sit there, and we'll sit till what a lot of times what you'll see, especially August, is the buck is going to come in with the does, and he'll be tending those does, but he's not going to water in the morning. And then he'll go bed those does somewhere close, maybe even two, 300 yards away. They'll come in from six, 700 yards, mill around, feed on their way in. All the does will drink. He'll usually stand about 100 yards off and defend the harem from other bucks. They'll take off. Sometimes they only go four or 500 yards and they'll all bed down early afternoon. He'll come in solo, usually between noon and two and leave the does. And he's, they're close enough that he can see and run over there. So you have to sometimes sit all day to get your target buck, but it is pretty awesome to go drive around, spot and scope all these bucks. Nobody else is out there, and you go, "That's the buck I want to kill." And then you got to—it's—it's it's a lot more work, and that's like what I said. You can make this as hard or as easy right. as you want. You can just wait till rifle season and drive around, and the first legal buck that runs in front of the truck, you can get out and shoot him, or you can spot and stock archery. I haven't quite done that yet. Just because I've been taking my oldest hunter, and he's now 10, but I took Hunter and his younger brother when his brother was a year and a half, and we we got a buck, you know, five and year and a half year old in, in the blind. And guys that say that archery's not lethal, at GoPro footage of one of the bucks that we looked at earlier, he lived nine seconds. It was an 18-yard frontal shot, arrow, broadhead skewered him and went all the way to the hind quarter, right? So we had that much fletching, about three, four inches of fletching sticking out. He lived nine seconds from when the arrow hit him to when he tipped over. And he, he turned around and looked back at the water like, what just happened? And then, done. Down he went. So yep. I do. I like to 
I like to go out there when there's nobody else out there and take my pick of the bucks. But to the same point, my dad killed a 85 inch goat last year, two or three days before the end of season with, with it, you know, it, it wasn't no special hiking. It wasn't no private land. It was just public land on the side of the road. And what had happened is somebody had harvested a buck earlier in the season right. off of those does. Right. And a buck from deeper out came in and was right. tending those does. Yeah, like and we it was a lot bigger buck. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, that, you know, my best pronghorn buck that I, I shot, we actually, it was actually the COVID year. I guess it was 2020. And uh, we was over there camping at Bass Lake with some friends. Mm-hmm. And Lisa had a tag my wife and uh she got up at like five o'clock she's like i do not feel good i gotta go to the house well she had covid i hate to say the c word on the podcast but anyway she that's what she ended up having so she had to go back and our friends they had to be on quarantine or whatever all that mess with but uh but me and my buddy chris got up and he had a, a doe tag for the same area and i was like well i'll go with you so we got up and went after whitetails and where we went i wasn't it I mean, it's prong, pronghorn kind of live everywhere, but where we went, it was a creek drainage, and I w- wasn't really expecting to see a pronghorn down off in there. And, and we had a few does come by that didn't give us a shot, and a whitetail does. And, and uh, I looked over, and it was really foggy. I sent you the pictures of that book. Mm-hmm. It was really foggy, so cool. and I said, there's a pronghorn over there. And I looked, and like he was about... I, my rangefinder picked up one time at 300 yards, and I was looking at him. And uh, I said, I can't in the fog. It was right at daylight, and as the as it started getting lighter, the fog rolled in. And I said, I can't tell when he turns sideways. He doesn't look very big, but when he looks at me, he looks pretty big. But at that distance, it was hard to tell in the conditions. And and uh, and I, I looked at Chris, and I said, Man, what do you think? And he said, He said, I don't know. He's looking for white tails, you know. He said, I don't, I don't. He said, I can't tell how big he is either. And I said, well, I don't really care. I said, I tell you what, your kids, your, his two kids and my, and Tucker was back at the camper. I said, I said, I'm going to go ahead and harvest him. I said, cause they'll get a kick out of it. We'll shoot him and we'll go back and get them and we'll let him, let them, you know, come up here and find him and everything. It was a nice, cool morning. And, uh, and so I went to range him to shoot him and I actually had, uh, my wife's 6.5 pink camo how creedmoor you know and mm-hmm. uh, i went to range him and my rangefinder said two yards i went well i guess the fog has got my range i was like well he was about 300 earlier and so i shot and i got chris was watching him and i i squeezed the trigger and like as soon as it went off he went he's dead like he just immediately went down you know and uh, but we went back got the kids i didn't even we i knew he went down i knew where he went so we was two miles from the kids so we went back and got them and come back up there and let them have the you know, the excitement of finding, like, have you been to him? No, we ain't been to him yet, you know. And uh, we went up there, and when we got to him, I looked at Chris, and he looked at me, and we, our, both of our eyes shot out. Was like, I was like, this is the biggest pronghorn I've ever harvested, and this was a real nice, real nice buck. He ended up scoring 80 or 81, something like that, you know. And uh, and it was just it was fantastic. It was it was a lot of fun. But the kids, I mean, they just got a big kick out of it. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm when I – looked at my tags this time and i had you know elk and mule deer and pronghorn and when i opened it up and unsuccessful unsuccessful successful all right well i got the two general tags <laughs> for the deer and elk i'll get generals for them but got that yeah. pronghorn tag you know because for the people that are still listening i mean all pronghorn there's no over the counters even for residents in wyoming it's all limited quota so we can get a general deer or general elk tag for certain areas in the state over the counter but but we cannot buy any over the counter pronghorn tags so it's strictly managed here and and uh, I think that's why it is, I, in my opinion, as far maybe not for trophies, I don't know, but I mean, as far as hunting and harvesting a pronghorn, I think Wyoming's the the spot in in the world to go. I mean, it's, yeah, period. So I would agree with that. I mean, 
you could argue Montana a little bit and a few other states, but I mean, Wyoming's got the density of the population and the big ones. So, and the public land to chase them all. I do have a couple tricks on how to field judge them. Oh, there you go. Let's hear them. Now, okay, well, I'll tell you mine because I, I only have one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, when people say, how do I tell it? Well, you want the prong to come off above the tip of the ear. When their ears are standing up, you want that prong to come off of the horn above the tip of the ear. If it's below that, it is a, I mean, it's a juvenile buck. I mean, it's a, it's a smaller one. Um, and then, well, I guess I have to. And the other one is, is if you're looking at mass, the base of the horn compared to their eye, you want it at least right. twice the the thickness or the width of their eye at, yep. the, at the base of that horn but other than that it's just you kind of look at them like is that is that one i want to harvest yes or no and if the answer is no drive a half mile down the road and find you another one yeah same, same as you said is their ear is six six and a half seven inches so if the prong is coming off below that ear they're sub 12 inch goats are little a big goat 17 inches tall from the base all the way around an average goat is 14 you know a small goat is 12 and under and there's kind of a when i'm driving around looking and this came from joe bartlett with blue creek outdoors is there's a yeah he's a dink right or hey, that's a pretty good representative of an antelope you might want to think about shooting him or holy cow batman shoot that goat now i haven't <laughs> seen a bigger one right and those correlate with a 60 a 70 and an 80 plus right is you get into the 85 88 89 i do know of a 91 and 5 eighths that got harvested in the state and that's it's a goat i mean it's a goat but you're 100 percent correct and their eye is an inch and a half almost two inches so you want the base of the prong right above their eye to double the size of their eye you want that prong to come off above their ear and you want that prong to be as long as the base of the horn right mm. and then you want them to have when you look and above the prong you want them to carry that mass so mass more like a thumb or a cigar not your pinky or a pencil right so they're real skinny up top and they just peter out and they don't hook around if you want that goat great harvest him but right. if you're looking to get a a representative they want to you want to double the horn above so from where that prong is if that's six inches and you have 50 percent more horn above it you know he's about 12 inches right so if they come off with that prong as an inch or an inch and a half or even two inches above the ear and they're twice the width of their eye and they've got big cutters and they look like they got cigars on top of their head that curl around ivory tips almost touch shoot them Hey, you're well, looking at an 80 plus uh, inch goat. Uh, about halfway through that description that you had, I, I've already got the safety off. Yeah, I'm already, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, already, I'm like, already putting pressure on the trigger. Like yeah. halfway through that description, shoot him. Well, uh, we looked at one. My dad shot one where his uh, his prong was an inch or so below his ear on one side, an inch or so above his ear on the other. He's a weird freak goat. Yeah, yeah. You showed me that that one earlier. He's, he's like 82, well, 83. When you pulled those sheaths, because on a like if you do a European mount, you can just set the sheaths on the bony cores of those mm-hmm. horns and david was showing me this goat and and before this podcast and he pulled one off and he handed it to me and i when he and then he pulled the other one off and i'm thinking to myself these are two different goats that he's put these sheaths on the same head but he, this was the same goat but when you take them off they, the sheaths don't look hardly mm-hmm. anything like each other i've no. never i've seen a lot of pronghorn out here and i've never seen one that really looked like that so that's dad's goat and he, my dad non-resident he's drawn more goat tags than i have as a resident i'm getting kind of tired of it but <laughs> it is exciting when he comes and we go we go on a two or three day usually two or three afternoon drive around look at goats and i go yeah it's a goat you want him take him or that's a pretty good one you might think about it or holy cow batman shoot that buck 
he was laying basically facing west and then he was laying facing east when he was facing west we were looking at that shorter quote-unquote side and i was like yeah he's all right he's just a goat i mean he's a good goat but i'm like yeah if you want him dad shot and missed him the next day we're driving back along that spot here's another goat that i thought laying a hundred yards from that spot with the same does facing the other direction and i'm like holy cow you need to shoot that and he shot and harvested and i walk up and i go that's the same goat from yesterday because when you looked you know you saw that he had such a disparity in the prong heights on that on that buck you talking about when you walk up to him they have such a unique smell and oh you, they do and some people don't like, I think it's cool smelling, but like, uh, uh, it's you, pugnant it, or strong. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's stout. I mean, it's got, they got a musk to them, but I mean, they're, I, I like it. I think it's a neat smell. I think but you talking about too. like, if that's a goat, you know, you can, you know, whatever a goat's a goat, you know, like on an average size. Well, you know, I told Lisa that she, she drew her buck tag and. I was like, hey, I'll try to find you a pretty decent one. She's like, I'm going to shoot the first mature buck that I see. <laughs> if it's not a juvenile buck, I'm going to shoot the first first buck I see because we're putting meat in the freezer. I'm not, I'm like not waiting, you know. So she's she is strictly after the meat, and and I love her for it. I mean, she and she likes to go and Tucker Tucker's so funny. So this year, you know, Chris he's ten now. I'm going to let him be her hunting guide. I'm going to sit back. I'm not going to do anything. But y'all, you Tucker, you tell me what to do. You're guiding mom in on her on her pronghorn and uh that's awesome you know it's some of these things i probably should film but then i don't want to live with a no, camera in my face all the time and don't so ruin I'm, the experience nah, so so i'm just it, it'll be fun it'll be a fun fun trip you do need to capture some of it for prosperity posterity's sake but filming a hunt just it it cheapens it yeah the the hunt now later years down the road when you can look back on some of that and my wife to to the same credit she's the same way and drives me nuts right <laughs> she'll draw a tag and she's drawn four buck tags to my every one right so i get excited when she's got an elk tag i'm like oh, i'll find you a big one we're gonna find a big one she's like i don't know i'm gonna shoot the first legal and the last time we That's went way Lisa is. the same way we crawled all over this mine i'm like no don't shoot that one we find better finally she's like fifth or sixth decent buck that was in range and she's like i'm shooting him i'm like okay i guess it's the best i've come up with this afternoon and she keeps going on one afternoon antelope hunts and but we take a kid along and it's a great it's a great time to your point though you said this earlier in the podcast trusty rusty right these guys that are gonna go on a hunt they draw this tag oh i gotta get a new rifle (laughs) don't do it i've seen elk fall to a 243 and i would rather have somebody show up with a 243 put 90 grain nozzler partitions and say hey i can shoot 250 yards that's max even on an elk hunt i'd rather you show up with that rifle and know it in and out and can shoot it accurately then go buy a 300 wind mag or a 338 lapua and and you can't even hit the broadside of a barn at right. yards with it yeah i mean tag driver it's about shot placement it's not about i mean and i think when people sometimes when they get those bigger guns i don't know if they if they feel like well it's a bigger gun i don't have to be as accurate i don't hopefully nobody consciously thinks that but uh but yeah bring bring the gun that you like if if it was all the stuff went haywire and you had to leave your house with one weapon to defend you and your family it's going to be the most accurate one you got which one are you grabbing mm-hmm. that's be, the one you take right? beware of yeah. the one rifle man right <laughs> right and if you get a caliber i mean 243 65 creedmoor is, will definitely do the job if you're going to look at a one caliber rifle there's a bunch in that 270 that's 30-06 308 yeah and jack o'connor you know london those guys they hunted around the world with those calibers yeah 
And so you don't need to get up into the... It, you don't no, have to have the melted magnums. You, know, you, you don't can, have to have them. No. But I've killed every big game animal that I've ever killed on the same Model 77 Ruger 270. That thing is a great gun. It. That's what I started hunting. I've, I've still got it, a Ruger 243 M77. I've had it for a yeah. long time. They're great guns. I mean, And I got a straight six Redfield scope on top of it. That My dad gave me that gun, and yep. I parted ways with it for a few years and ended up getting it back from my cousin. And, and uh, But, yeah, it's a tack driver. And uh, it's funny, we uh, one of the pronghorn does that I killed – first couple of years we were out here we were in a, uh, a field and before we left and tucker was younger i, got, I guess what seven or eight before i left the house and i i they kind of opened up the gun safe i was like tucker what gun you want me to take he's like take that one because he'd never seen me hunt with that 243 i was like okay so i grabbed that 243 and, and we went and and uh shot a doe and i shot actually shot her in the neck you saw my shot placement and putting them down and this was in an alfalfa field and to this day she was probably the best tasting wild game animal oh, yeah. i have ever harvested and uh, and i actually shoot a for antelope for light you know light game i actually shoot a 85 grain sierra hollow point out of that 243 it's 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 rough on on deer or antelope size critters for sure i'm loading 60 grain in my 22250 yeah. and when i have one of the family members come that and it's it's legal here is way too small for mule deer way mm. too small for now white tail does at close range right great medicine but antelope out to my cousin he came and he drew his first doe tag and i told him he now needs to go get his own rifle when he comes the next time but he borrowed this this uh 22 and i mean we're talking it's hand loaded and it's five shots under a quarter at 100 yards right right bull barrel it's it's a nice it's just a remington 22 but with the hand loads it's a it's a nice gun and i'd probably recommend more 243 than that gun but it still will do the job and he missed a couple antelope in the 200 yard 250 and i had a doe tag in my pocket and he was kind of mumbling something about the gun the antelope had run out there at about 400 yards i said give me that gun i took it i ranged him picked a doe and dropped her right there i'm like it's not the gun buddy and handed it back to him right <laughs> after he just got done and we we were belly crawling in our sagebrush around here which is sometimes not much bigger than a water bottle. Right. And we're crawling into where I'm seeing the backs of these in range. And okay, they're like 220, 220. I'm like, we set the bipod up and I'm like, okay, now you just need to, when, when the sagebrush parts and you could see one, it'll put it right behind the shoulder and shoot her. Shoot, miss. I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, so definitely bring the gun that you're comfortable and confident with. And like you said, bipod. Bipod's very important on these antelope hunts because I've got a, what, a 13 to 26 Harris fixed, not pivoting bipod, but a fixed bipod. And I, it stays on my rifles all the time. I mean, that's the, that's a game changer on any, any kind of shot over a, really a hundred yards. Really. I mean, you want to have that bipod. So no, when that's I'm suggestion. put before you come out here, put a bipod on your gun and, uh, and be ready to use it and know how to use it. Predator hunting, open country, coyote hunting, wind, antelope hunting, wind. I we use a bipod. Sometimes, like Patrick and I went out to a spot and we were watching a creek for whitetail. I hauled the lead sled out. And we took a kid. I laid the rifle on the lead sled where the where I'd seen the deer coming. I'm like, it's gonna be right there, right? However, what I've found on mount goat hunts, doll sheep hunts, even elk hunts, I don't like having that bipod there. It sometimes could be marginally useful. What I found is a really simple trick. I always take trekking poles. Mm -hmm. If you take both wrist straps yep. and slide them over the op opposing handles and shrink them down, you can make a pretty quick homemade tripod right there right. in the field. And that has played a big game-changing role in 
doll sheep hunts and mountain goat hunts and elk hunts is if we're going to extend the range past kind of zero distance, right. you know, if it's zero distance, I rest on a tree or a knee and right. take a shot. If we're going to extend and the range a little bit. zero distance is what you're going to zero at, like 200, 250. You yes. know, two, 200 for a, for a short action, 250 for a long action magnum. You know? Yep. That, 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 that's what I slide them in at for me anyway. So if we can't get on like a backpack and get that rifle rested steady because of the hill and the terrain or we need to raise the elevation of the muzzle, that makes a really nice steady rest when we're getting into the 350, 400. Now, I don't shoot further than that, and guys can, long-range guys can say what they want. I've just found when I shoot something at 300, it's game over. 400 is usually fine if we take our time. If it's sub 200, it's harvested too. But when I get past four or 500 yards then it starts to be a question mark even and i can shoot four or five inch group with most of my firearms on the lead sled at the range right. at home you start adding in you're breathing heavy you're excited wind wind dynamic <laughs> movement of you and the animal shorten that yardage up a little bit and increase your odds of success right see this is just loaded with good tips on hunting <laughs> well, so if people are still listening they're like man i learned a lot today i didn't know i could use my trekking poles for a bipod you know but i mean you have them with you there's lots of great things yeah i mean you yeah, look at a, what you have with you and how do you use it i mean that's just a basic principle when you're out hunting just like a great rest is your pack you know if you got your pack throw it on the ground lay down and make a good yep. shot adapt and overcome that's yeah. just what, so, the, what the adventure is about for sure yeah but i think it's really cool that we did a speed goat episode i also call them prairie rockets because I, rocket. I think that's a pretty cool name <laughs> there's they some non-endearing names, names out there, there. Is, we're there not going to uh perpetuate those those people can have those names but yeah. prairie rocket speed goat you know yeah. once are, again like cool. i said i was up at ten sleep brewery drinking their mm -hmm. speed goat golden ale which it's my it's number good. one beer any beer drinkers out there stopping ten sleep and get you one but uh but yeah that's where i was at when i found out about this job out here and changed my life changed my life and son's life too are you going back to ten sleep no to, to tennessee? tennessee to visit right to visit yeah, yeah. Lisa, lisa says no Lisa yeah. says no. Well, we're happy to have you. She, in she go visit, but yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I tell people that uh, Tennessee's got my heart, but Wyoming's got my soul. Yeah, I love it out here. Yeah, it's, it's well, just fantastic. Another reason you can't leave is Lisa loves my dog Molly, <laughs> and true. so we can't do that. To that her. is that true. Would, that would be bad. That is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, John, it's been great having you on, man. Um, and hopefully, people will be inspired to go check out pronghorn. I mean, they are one of the coolest animals on the planet. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tell any non-resident, or I mean, residents in Wyoming, they grew up hunting them just like you, right? Yep. But any non-resident listen, listening, start doing a little bit of research. Put in, start putting in for for preference points. You know, you can get a good area with four or five pronghorn preference points with a lot of public land i say start putting in for it start doing a little bit of research and and you won't have to be worried about coming home empty-handed like you you'll be successful on this on this hunt and it'll be a good time it, it's it's not stressful the weather's not terrible you know unless you decide to go on opening day when the wind is awful like we did but we didn't know you know this is just inexperienced but but well, you uh, can find antelope from oregon to dakotas oh, yep. down to new mexico arizona all the way up to montana so yep Definitely, if you're not, there's in, lots of options. Well, I, I would say Wyoming we have the is, most. has the most by far, and yeah. I, I don't know. There's just something special about this state and hunting them here. So that's something special about hunting this state. Period. You know, me and, yeah. me and my buddy Chris has talked about you know going to do a coos deer in Arizona or something like that. I'm like, man, Chris, we we live in like the the place that everybody that calls himself a hunter <laughs> in the world knows Wyoming for hunting. Right? They want to hunt here. 
Right, David? Wouldn't you say that's true? When I had to move down from Alaska, which is uh, probably a close second, <laughs> you know, we looked at three states, and I'll say what they are, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and Wyoming won yeah. out, and I'm 100% glad. I mean, we've been here right out a decade now. Yeah. 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 The next year, 11 years now. So I, I don't, you know, Alaska might still have my heart a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Wyoming's got my soul. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a unique place and it, it, it's not for everybody. I'll, I'll say that mm-hmm. it wouldn't be for everybody, but, but, uh, me and my family really, really feel at home here. We really do. Well, and you're a great part of the community. So I'm glad you're here too. And, uh, we got to go fishing again at some point. So. Let's go. All right. I, I mean, let's go this afternoon. <laughs> I, got a, I got to. a, I got a good hand on some brown trout on caddis flies. We'd probably go get them right here at dark. <laughs> You want to go catch a 20-inch brown for dark? I like catching 20-inch browns anytime. Anytime. <laughs> you, well, you know that, though. I know you <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we'll come back again with another episode of Radcast Outdoors. If you want to go back, you can listen to John's first episode. It's a little ways back, and we talk about Boyston State Park and a whole bunch of other stuff. But uh, thanks again for listening. Again, we've got listeners all over the country and even outside this country. So thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a RADCAST community on Facebook called RADCAST Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors. Enjoy the outdoors.